sound. Well, now we're sat on B Sands, which is a beach in Devon, right on the south coast of England. And uh, I've been wanting to come here for many years because I came here on a family holiday at the age of six, which is a long time ago now, more than 50 years ago. And uh, it was just a family holiday. We went exploring. And what was unusual was I kept a diary of the holiday. And I've treasured that diary ever since. I think it's probably the earliest bit of writing of my young self. I was reading it again this morning and uh, I definitely detect the hand of my mother there because it's full of species that we saw together. So it's full of things like butterflies and plants and um, I think it's very much my mum that encouraged those kind of interests and maybe my dad too. What about you, Lynn? Was it the same for you? Is it your parents that got you interested in wildlife? Well, I think it was. I mean, they used to take us out for walks and relentlessly tell us the names of things and my granny was very keen on botany because her mother had been very keen on botany Um, and she and I used to go out and walk the dog and look at flowers and bring them back and look them up in the book and try and work out what they were and uh, I've always wanted to know, I see a thing I want to know what its name is because once you've got its name you can go and find out stuff about it, whether it's interesting or rare or recently introduced or exotic or has a wacky lifestyle. We've just done a short walk over from Torcross, which is the next little bay. We've gone over, what it said in my diary, we went over a knob to B Sands, so we've just been over a knob, uh, which is a sort of, well, there's a quarry, isn't there, and a sort of headland. Yeah, there's an abandoned um, slate quarry on the headland um, so there's some bits of sort of scrotty woodland and these little damp sunk lanes up the top which are full of um, wall pennywort oh yeah which is gorgeous um, umbilicus rupestris because it looks or navel wort it looks like a belly button the leaves are round <laughs> with this depression in the middle so well, funnily a, enough I remember that from the age of six well That's you will do it's the belly button plant. yeah probably yeah and there were it's orchids gorgeous. weren't there there were um early purple orchids. Lots of ferns so it felt really like this Atlantic rainforest. We are, we are quite far west and it's got that real oceanic feel to it. It really it? does. It feels quite different from Dorset. It's, yeah. Even though we haven't come very far geographically it's quite different so lots ecologically. lots of petrifites on the trees. Yeah. Very low sort of, I don't know, Tolkien-esque woodland. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So what else have we seen? There's some lots of plants on the cliffs here that we're well, there are, and the, and the shingle plants are a real speciality here. So shingle, I mean, you were reading it, it's actually, um, globally, shingle is a rare habitat. Which we, is really surprising, because yeah, we have lots in Britain. We have lots in Britain, we take it for granted. Yeah. But here we've got these, these lovely, the sort yellow-horned poppy oh, yeah, on yellow the pebbles, poppy. which is just completely yeah. stunning. This massive grey-green spiky leaves, this huge yellow poppy flower on the top. Yeah, that is beautiful. It's superb. And what else? Your favourite thing, which is seeping, seeping. or thrift. There's yeah, a pressed so one in your diary. I did, so that's, that's why I say I detect the hand of my mother, because she obviously said, well, what you need to do is have a holiday diary and write things in. And then you need to collect plants and press them, which is really old school, isn't it? No one does Very that anymore. School, in right. fact, I'm not sure I ever did it again. <laughs> <laughs> you probably didn't. 
But amazingly, those plants have still survived in my diary. So sea pink was the one I really remember because it's this beautiful pink colour forming these little clumps on these rocks and cliffs. And uh, I always remember finding that and being overjoyed. And here it is again, so that's right here. And we saw orange-tipped butterflies as well, which was also in my diary. So some of these species are clearly still here. There's a little trickle of water coming down the cliff just here. I've just been watching a potter wasp. Oh, wonderful. That was a potter wasp, one of the ones that builds the little round vases out of mud. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. So they, they're the ones that go off and yeah. hunt for spiders and they then... They do. They fill the jar with spiders. Shove them in their jar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I may be sitting on an ant's You mess. usually do. It's one of your things. Yeah. And what's that lovely red plant all over the cliff? Um, that is red valerian, which yeah. you often see. I think it's a garden escape originally, isn't it? But it's, is it? it's yeah, it likes walls and cliffs, and it's very people beautiful. often grow it anyway because it's gorgeous. And there's lots of wild radish. Wild radish. Wild so radish. So that big, there's a big crucifer over there. With I'm pointing at it, but I'm looking at the mic. <laughs> with. Um, yellow flowers and later on it'll have these really sort of blobby flask shaped um, seed pods it's quite big isn't it it's got quite big it's big and lush I mean it's rained here recently the week before we came it really rained heavily so everything is very wet and lush and really green so is this wild radish any relative of the one we eat in our salads well I think so yes just the one we eat in our salads has been cultivated to have bigger tap roots so oh, yeah. we eat the root, not the, the not the top part. Oh, interesting. So that's a shingle specialist, is it? Well, it's a seaside specialist. It likes here. to grow along the sea. And the sea campion down sea there. Sea campion, which I also the love that one. Beautiful white flowers. Beautiful plant. Short, lovely white flowers. So it's an absolute sea of colour. And we saw viper's bugloss, which oh, is yes. the most bluest blue flower. It's a gorgeous trumpet-shaped flower. It's a big, sort of tall thing. It's a big sort of tall, hairy, bristly thing with, yeah. with really purpley blue I certainly remember my mum going on about Viper's Bugloss. I think she just liked the name. <laughs> I think she did. I, I mean, she just what does that even... What is a Bugloss? Uh, I have no idea. No, I don't know what a Bugloss is. No. Oh, well, why why a Viper Vipers? would have one? I don't know. Were there any other species that you can remember we saw? I mean, there's loads of birds. We saw where we're staying, Slapton Lay, is full of birds. And we saw on the way over... Um, lots of swallows, yeah. martins. There are swifts here swifts. too. There are so many insects. So Slapton Lay is a freshwater shallow lake which is cut off from the sea by this very thin shingle bar. And it's absolutely, it's got reed beds around it and it's absolutely full of insects. I mean, there were cl- literally clouds of insects over it last night, weren't there? Yeah, I've got really bitten Yeah. already. So which, the, yes. <laughs> which really reminds me, that's one of the reasons I wanted to come to B-Sands, because this epic moment in my diary... In fact, the entry for the day we came here is very short, because for me it was a personal disaster, because <laughs> I got really sunburnt on my legs. And then I got bitten by a clay fly. And at that age, six, I'd never heard of a clay fly, but I've never forgotten them, because it was a, a really nasty bite. And I just remember walking... for what seemed like miles along this beach in absolute agony and they say that you don't remember pain but I absolutely do remember that you've always remembered that one yeah so the diary entry is very terse for that day (laughs) it just says went to B-Sands 
got bitten by a clegg fly. So while wildlife isn't entirely positive, there are negative aspects. <laughs> so if I see a clegg fly today, I'm not going to be too pleased about it. But, um, but nonetheless, beautiful place, fantastic wildlife. And one of the things I've been really thinking about, because it's a long time ago, I haven't been back since I came more than 50 years ago. It does make you think about how places change and what doesn't change. For example, we've just walked past an elm wood, which is half alive and half dead. So a lot of the trees are, are dying from Dutch elm disease. And that was just beginning in the early 70s, really, wasn't it? So people were just starting to see elms dying. Elm had this, I mean, you were saying earlier, weren't you, that it was sort of iconic in the British landscape. Yeah. It was. I mean, it was this huge landscape tree. It was everywhere. You totally took it for granted. And it did. It made a, a spectacular big tree, like you see on all these 18th century landscape paintings and all of this. And you, you just assumed that the elm trees would always be there. And then suddenly they started dying. And now they've, apart from hedgerows and small scrubby trees and occasional places like the Scilly Isles. Oh, yeah. Um, they've more or less vanished from the landscape entirely. It's killed pretty much every elm tree. There's very yes. few and places. And even where it is still alive, I mean, like we've just seen just now, once it gets beyond a certain size, it just gets reinfected with the disease. So all it can do is keep suckering from the roots. And it'll keep doing that quite happily, but... Its place in the landscape is now as a as woody species in a hedgerow. I see. But not, not as, as a, a standard tree. tree. No. No. So this huge element of our landscape's just gone, and that's happened within our lifetime. Yeah. So and there's been other changes too. So, I mean, we heard Chetty's warbler on the way over, which is really exciting because I think of that as a, a species of the Mediterranean or or France. I remember seeing it on holiday in places like Spain or Italy. Um, but now it's native and it's breeding here and we, yeah. we hear it. It's resident here year round, you can, you can hear it at any time of the year. So that's a species that wasn't here 50 years ago and now lives here all year round. It's now warm enough for it to yeah, live here so all the, year round. Yeah, so it's really a function of the, the climate warming up, mm. definitely. So it's, a, it's one of these species that's migrated over the channel into the south coast and into England mm. as the climate has changed. It's real evidence that our wildlife is changing. Yeah, it is. Just looking around here, there are lots lots and lots of little invertebrates and ants and bugs and beetles and things all scurrying about. And I suspect we got stuck in there and identified some of these. Quite a few of them would turn out to be quite recent additions to our insect fauna. And nobody seems particularly bothered about this. I think but most people aren't aware, are they? No, you, you just don't, you know, you I mean, see we any bug or a beetle started... or whatever. Till I started na- trying to name things and then realising that an awful lot of what we were seeing... It's an amazing proportion. ...is actually recent, new. over and over again. So some, some of them have found their way here, they've just blown across. And now, because the climate is, is milder and, and warmer, particularly in the winter, they're able to survive. Amazing. Whereas before they might not have done. So the species have changed. Mm. Some of them have come, some of them have gone. Of course, we've now got ash dieback as well, which is doing to ash what uh, Dutch elm disease did to elm. So in another 50 years, there can be really very few yeah. ash left. So that will have a profound effect on the landscape too. Yeah. 
and of course on all the species that that depend on these on these trees. Exactly. And yet other aspects don't seem to have changed at all. We were looking at some old maps of this area and some old photographs. It really has, as a landscape, changed very little. And it's lovely to see lots of species that I saw as a little kid still here. One thing that has changed, though, is the whole landscape's become much more intensely farmed, hasn't it? Even in a place like this, yeah. that you see a lot of Im improvement on the fields, so they've had lots of fertiliser applied, and that's created this big nitrogen pollution problem, and you can see even down here, that's had an impact. But we were talking about, on the way over here, as kids we remember the car being covered in insects. If you drove a car anywhere uh, in the countryside, it would be just smothered in insects, and I remember that because my job was to, as a little boy, was to was to wash the car. Was to wash the car. Scrubbing the dead flies off the windscreen and the headlights was the worst bit. Yeah, and it was covered always. But I washed our car the other day, which we've used quite a lot lately, and it hadn't been washed in a long time. There wasn't a single insect on it. No, it's changed. I was really shocked to, by that. You used to drive along, like the motorway, and you'd drive through a cloud of flies or ants or something, and you'd hear them all hitting the windscreen. But sometimes you'd have to stop and clean it. And you just don't... That just doesn't happen that now. That just doesn't happen now. Yeah, that's all the fault of the pesticides that farmers have been applying intensively over the past few decades. So again, within our lifetimes, there's been a massive drop in... Not, not necessarily the diversity of insects, but just the sheer just the biomass, numbers. the which, sheer numbers. Which must have, a, have had an effect on all of the, the birds and the migrant birds that come here to feed on them, like the swallows and the, and the martins and the swifts you were talking about earlier. Yeah, because their numbers have dropped, haven't their they? Their numbers have dropped, the numbers of farmland birds yeah, have dropped. Yeah, dropped a lot. And even really common things like sparrows and starlings and, and you know, these things that were all over the place when we were kids. Yeah. They're just not now. Yeah, massive. And that's not stuff. just us being nostalgic, yeah. there's actually data to, to back this up. It really has changed. Yeah. And it's hard to get your head around that. And it's also very easy to lose awareness of that. It's, what, it's what's called the shifting baseline phenomenon, isn't it? So if it changes gradually then you're not totally conscious of it. No. And by the next generation comes along, for them, it's normal not to have great clouds of insects on their cars. It's, it's been forgotten that this was ever the case. There's a jewel wasp on the microphone. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Oh, that's stunning. Bright, shiny, metallic green. It's gone. So, yes, I mean, my dad always used to talk about how things had changed in his lifetime, and we just thought he was being old and boring. <laughs> But actually, he'd seen, in his lifetime, a massive intensification and expansion of farming, which carried on into our lifetimes, and uh, still carrying on. Farming's always becoming more technical. I mean, some things have changed, so it's maybe not quite the same amount of fertiliser applied now as there was maybe 20, 30 years ago. And they're using slightly less toxic insecticides. Yeah, that's right. There's been some changes, but... But even so... It's massive damage has been done. And it's affected even places like this, I guess. Yeah. And it's easy to forget that, because you come to a place like this and it's full of life. It's full of birds and there's insects everywhere and there's all these flowers flowering and it's easy to forget that even places like this have been uh, really badly affected. Yeah.
How's the entomologist strict botanist doing? I've done all right. I've worked out that most of those little brown jobs we've been seeing are house sparrows. Hey. But they must be feeding nestlings somewhere because they're going along hoovering up beakfuls of these flies and insects that are so abundant right here and then flying off with them. Presumably they're in somebody's roof in the village. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's not what's making that bird song that we can't identify. No, I, I haven't that seen that. Is. I don't know what that is. But the little brown things flying about, mostly sparrows. But it's quite nice to see them. What are these lovely pink flowers right here? Geraniums. That one surprises me thinking. Sorry, geraniums. Geraniums. <laughs> Cutley cranes bill, which has this intensely magenta flower. It's a very small flower. It's mostly leaf. It's a, it's a weed. And then there is dove's foot cranes bill as well, which has that more. Delicate little pinky stripy flower. And these little, see these little leaves at the top that look a bit like a bird's foot with bits oh. sticking out. Dove's foot. Dove's Which I always thought was a lovely name. Is that another scene or what? No, it's just a kind of generic hedgerow weed, but it's quite pretty. That's really nice. Oh, the little pink thing we saw earlier was Little Robin, which is like. Herb Robert. It is another geranium, but it's like Herb Robert, but tiny. It's another got a really tiny, tiny little pink flower with five petals and these little yellow anthers in the middle, which oh, nice. are uh, diagnostic. And we saw it growing with Herb Robert, which is the common sort of weedy geranium that you get kind of everywhere. Um, uh, it was really nice to see the two. What's it called? Together. Little, little robin. robin, which I think is another delightful name. <laughs> I was thinking it might be Little, little Batman. Robin. Yeah, it's like Little Batman. It's to do with it. <laughs> anyway. Yes, there are some. And other big flies that aren't damselflies, I think they are. And lots and lots and lots of these midges that we've seen flying around making clouds over the water at well, that night. That must be what's feeding the swallows. I think that's what's feeding the swallows and the sparrows. And, and whatever it is that's making that noise that we can't identify. So the birds must have to time their breeding with when the 
midges all hatch out. I suppose that's true. And this is another thing that's going to get messed up by climate change, possibly, if the water temperature changes or the winters get shorter or the springs come earlier. You may get the flies hatching out kind of before the birds are ready for them, so the birds are going to have to start breeding earlier. Well, that's already happening. In order to time it with the uh, Certainly some of the migrants are arriving earlier, aren't they? Yep. We're going to see changes later. And again, it's, it's slow change. If it wasn't for these people who keep um, long-term records of when the first things appear and the first things flower and the birds come back and whatever, we wouldn't necessarily know. Yes. I don't notice from here to there. stood by a lake on these hands. So the sea is behind me and I'm standing on a shingle ridge which has trapped this area of fresh water behind so there's a lake. It's very much like Slapton Lay has a, a big lake there, the biggest lake in southern England I think. Natural one. The one at these hands is a bit smaller. but it's just full of bird life. So I'm stood basically inside in the middle of a reed bed. It's got beautiful yellow flag irises and you can probably hear the reeds rustling in the wind. And it's full of reed warblers. And on the lake, there's lots of ducks of different species and swans. Swallows catching insects. And great swarms of insects. See the swans are actually have a nest on the island in the middle of the lake. And there's also geese. Thank <laughs> you. 
So what do you think they are? We're in the midst of this massive swarm of... Well, my theory is they are um, chironomid midges, so they're non-biting midges. Thankfully they're non-biting, because if they were biting, we would be running for cover right now, because there must be millions of them. Swarm. All... They've been waiting for the wind to drop. They were all roosting oh. in the vegetation this morning, and we were putting them up as we were walking through it. I mean, that's thousands. And now we've got these immense swarms... Um, my guess is that it's a lek, so it's male midges waiting for the females to hatch out. And then what happens? And they're competing, and presumably they <laughs> all compete to see who can get to her first. Yeah. Well, there's going to be no lack of suitors if a female does appear. <laughs> no. Amazing. But they're doing that wonderful swarming behaviour where it's like the whole swarm is alive. It keeps moving and changing shape. And it changes pitch as it moves. When they all make a sudden movement, the pitch goes up because they all speed up together. They do. That's spectacular. So now we're sat on the top of a cliff, which is really near Start Point Lighthouse, which is another place that I came as a little kid of six, and I wrote all about it in my diary. I was very excited, because not only did we manage to get to the lighthouse, which is right at the end of a very long peninsula, and it's one of the most exposed in Britain. It sticks right out into the sea, and it's a famous place for really horrendous shipwrecks which is why they built the lighthouse but when we came all those years ago the lighthouse keeper very kindly took us in and showed us around and uh, it's actually also the coast guard I think not just the lighthouse keeper because what I really remember is him showing us this huge array of telescopes and giving us a chance to look through them at all the boats in the channel which was for a little kid just an awesome experience and I never forgot it. I wrote all about it in my diary but I didn't need to. It's something I've never forgotten. And what really strikes me is just a little single act of kindness just inviting us in. It wasn't really part of his job or anything I don't think but he saw these little kids and thought they might be interested and we really were and he just took a lot of interest in taking time to show us how the telescopes worked and what we could see through them. 
So it's lovely to come back after all this time. Um, we haven't actually quite got to the lighthouse yet, but we can sort of see it. We're perched on this cliff, sheltering from the wind. But again, it's a lovely summer sunny day. And the sea is below us, several hundred feet below us, shimmering away. And between us and the sea is this fantastic slope of flowers. So it's carpeted with bluebells, sea pink. Uh, what's the yellow flower? Eggs and bacon. Eggs and bacon. It's not actually made of eggs and bacon, is it? No, but it has red and yellow flowers, so it gets called eggs and bacon. And technically, what is that? Do you know the Latin for that? Um, technically, it's a bird's foot trefoil. Ah, that's how I knew it, yeah. Yes. Bird's foot trefoil. I think that made it into my diary as one it of those did. squashed <laughs> flowers. <laughs> Held on with little wonky bits of elastoplast. Yeah, that's right. More of my mum's doing. Uh, so a carpet of flowers. Anything else you've seen that's been exciting today? Well, there's lots of... We're sitting in this amazing veg which has a lot of very typical sort of seaside plants of cliff tops where you've got short turf and a lot of um, wind activity. Obviously, it's really windy. Isn't this the most exposed headland in Britain? I think I rather think it is. I think it said that on the board. Um, and it's quite a challenging environment, and it clearly gets very dry up here in the summer. But uh, there's lots of really nice specialists. So there's Buxholm plantain, Plantago coronopus, which has these little serrated sort of leaves that do look a little bit like sort of deer horns I guess if you're very imaginative um, there's lots of little curly leaves coming out of the soil down there which I think were probably spring squills which is like a little blue bulb thing oh, but yeah. they will have flowered like and then crocus gone or something isn't it oh yeah I can see that there yeah there's these little coils of little yeah. shiny leaves that are coming and they're starting to go over now so they're curling up and turning yellow when you notice them they would have had these lovely little blue flowers and what's the nice the white flower on the rock that's a bitter stone crop oh yeah which is just coming out um, we saw it in bud yesterday and there's one down there i can see it's opened up these yeah, it's beautiful pointy white petals with lovely red sepals on the outside it's a very attractive but that's a succulent so that's really adapted to these dry, exposed conditions. Beautiful. And there's sticky groundsel, which is a nice, interesting weed that's blown in from somewhere, probably. Um, there's all sorts of grasses. Don't ask me to name nah, the grasses, except nice. there is, there's Job's Tears or Quaking Grass here. Oh, yeah, that's pretty. Breezer, that's okay. really pretty. A nice grass. A nice grass. It is a nice one. Yeah. And, and of course some... lots of thrift, sea pink, which is your favourite thing. You've seen some insects too, haven't you? What have you seen? I have. Uh, there are ants, there are beetles, there are micro moths. Are there? Yeah. You saw your mason wasp. It wasn't um, a potter wasp yesterday, was it? No, it was a mason wasp. I looked it up, which is related to a potter wasp and it does things with mud, but it doesn't actually make a pot. So what it was collecting yesterday from that stream on the beach would just have been water. It would have filled up with water, gone back to wherever it's making its burrow in a nice bank of earth somewhere, regurgitated the water to make mud. Um, and the mud it digs out of its burrow, it makes into a sort of, like a chimney, so it's like a tube leading into the burrow. And nobody knows whether this is to do with improving the ventilation or just stopping other things getting in there. But what it stocks its burrow with is weevil larvae. 
<laughs> so it's quite a specialist. It's amazing. It goes for weevil larvae. And there's lots of beetles on these soft cliffs. So it just so, goes, yeah. and what are they like? Are they like a little... They're like little green grubs. Wow. And it just collects them and paralyses them and, and lays an egg and then it hatches out and eats so them. So that's here too? You've seen that here too? Yeah, I've seen that here too. There was one in that gorse bush. We ought to mention one of the plants we saw yesterday turned out to have been more interesting than we realised at the time, which was Little Robin. Yeah, I looked up the uh, distribution map in the book, as you do, and it's actually quite restricted to particularly this part of the south coast. We have an outlying population in Dorset, so there is we've seen it on Hurst's bit in Dorset, but uh, it really only just gets onto this bit of the southwest coast and I've also seen it in the Channel Islands so it's a very southerly and quite restricted yeah right on the restricted tip plant England yeah so it's nice to see that so that was well, a bit more special than we thought it fascinates me that there's all these species both plants and insects that are restricted to this part of England it's yeah really it's really special, quite special special wow yeah and the next bit round from here which is pretty inaccessible where we're probably not going to get to which is Prawl Point and Prawl has a whole bunch of uh, really specialist things. It has another um, eroding soft cliff environment and it's got a whole bunch of rare invertebrates on it. That you just don't find. That you just don't see anywhere else. Anywhere else. No, amazing. Mm. Mm. Oh, we learnt yesterday that this is a spectacularly important area for crabs. Obviously there's a, there's a crab fishery, which is quite a traditional... Um, crab fishing industry, but they are reputed to be the biggest crabs in England, if not Britain. And they were huge, weren't we? We saw some <laughs> photographs of massive edible crabs. I can't remember how big, but they were Really monsters. big. Yeah. Bigger than your head. So it's very good for crabs. So obviously a lot of things happening underwater mm. we can't see here in terms of... They're mostly detritivores, aren't they? They're yeah. eating... Stuff on the seabed. Dead bed. stuff. Yeah. And lobsters and scallops. So seabirds, yeah. Seen some gulls. No gannets. No, not that I've seen. There doesn't seem to be a lot nesting along these cliffs. Of course, they've had a big problem with bird flu, haven't they? A lot of wild birds have died this year and last year, including a lot of seabirds. So I hope that's not the reason why we're not seeing many today. Strikingly few. Mm, it's very quiet. There's not even many seagulls. No. You'd think around these little coastal resorts yeah. there'd be seagulls, but there's obviously not enough tourists with chips to keep a seagull population going. It's a bit concerning, because near where we live they were finding lots of dead gannets on the beach. Yeah. Because of the um, flu. Well, I thought I might have been looking at one yesterday, but then we got sidetracked by your spectacular caterpillar on your... Pants. Oh, yeah, what was that? A blue, it was a blue, it had stripes, didn't it? It was a hairy caterpillar with blue stripes. Talking Just a bit, on my two trans- blue butterflies down there by oh, that great. rock. Can you see little fluttery? Oh, yeah. You said you saw blue ones, were you? Before. Yeah, we did. But it turned out to be the caterpillar of the lackey moth, which is a biggish, fairly undistinguished looking brown moth. Um, it's one of the things that cuckoos like to eat. They like big hairy caterpillars. It was hairy, mm. but it has spectacular colours. 
Yeah, it has blue and orange stripes along the sides, <laughs> and then it has a, a blue head with a big pair of sort of false eye oh, yeah. spots on it to make it look bigger and more ferocious than it actually is. So quite how it ended up on my trousers, I don't well, know. Well, I think it was looking for somewhere to pupate. Ooh, well, it's had this lovely shield it's in the wrong bug. place. It's just landed right in front of the microphone. Really nice. Just there. That wasn't exciting. Was. The longer you sit here, the more yeah, stuff the more you, you see. see. Yeah, oh, and that's bird's foot. You're sitting on least bird's foot, which is a very small... Yeah. This thing here, which is like a very small bird's foot trefoil with really tiny little pink and white flowers. That's nice. And there's also burrowing clover, which buries its own seed pods. It's a little white clover with little white flowers. That is a rose chafer. Oh, Big shiny green beetle just cruised past. I didn't see that. (laughs) It just went (laughs) across there. It's landed in that horse bush. It's a big metallic green beetle. Oh, they're the best. They're fantastic. They're really good at flying as well. Although I imagine in this wind it must be a bit of a challenge. Oh, that seems to cope. Oh, it's great. It's just full of, full of stuff. Lots of small birds. And we can hear skylarks. Yes, that's been a highlight. Up on the top of this plateau, there are skylarks. In spite of all the very intensive farming that clearly goes on around here, um, there are skylarks. So presumably these cliff tops are a bit of a refuge for them. itself, which very excitingly is a national nature reserve, so a really important place for wildlife, and it's got a bunch of species that, well first of all it's got lots and lots of species, literally thousands, including some species that are found nowhere else in the country. Can you think of an example of one of those? Yay, strapwort, I've just been looking for strapwort, I haven't seen any yet, but it's a little plant that grows on seasonally flooded muddy shingle on the edge of Slapton Lay and nowhere else in the UK. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely astonishing. So we've just parked our car in the car park and just can still hear the road in the background there. And uh, we have to mention where we parked the car because it's the site of a hotel and we were reading this amazing story of the hotel. It was um, demolished by a dog. Well, it was requisitioned during the war because they evacuated everybody from, from Slapton and took over this, this bit of the coast to practice for the D-Day landings. And one of the things they practised was shelling buildings from out at sea. Um, so they requisitioned <laughs> this hotel and they'd, they'd um, put a minefield round it as part of one of their exercises dealing with minefields and this stray dog came along. His name was Pincher. Pincher, the dog. He set off the landmines. We're not exactly sure how. He possibly stuck his nose where he shouldn't have. <laughs> he possibly lifted his leg where he shouldn't have. But um, he set off 
I think six landmines, if I recall correctly, and um, <laughs> did severe damage to the hotel, and he didn't survive. Pinchu was no more. That's a shame. So it was a ruin, and then it got shelled after And that. then after that, it got shelled to bits. There's an old photograph with one of the shells that presumably missed, and it's made this massive crater in the beach. The guy's standing in it, and you can just see his head. <laughs> so anyway, we really had to look at wildlife and listen for wildlife. And we were just reading, there's a load of interpretation here, because um, Field Studies Council, who are a wonderful organisation that support the study of natural history, conservation, they have a centre here, don't they? They do, and they run courses and school visits and whatever, so they've built this rather natty little shelter to keep the rain off their students. And there's lots of interpretation about dragonflies, so we were talking about how biodiversity is changing as a result of climate change, and it says here that Dragonflies are particularly sensitive to warming, and lots of new species, migratory species, arriving from the continent, and they're asking us to look out for them, including one called the Norfolk Hawker, which is a... Do you want to describe... That looks amazing, and I really hope we see one. We might possibly see one. It's a great big orangey-brown dragonfly with green eyes, and it's got a white spot on its back just behind its wings. So hopefully, even if one whizzes past, you should be able to clock it in flight, but that was that. So, so this is one that it says here for. was restricted to the North Broads, but now it's spreading rapidly across England, and it's now here right down on the South Coast. So let's hit this here, North Walker. The lake, yeah. so looking over the lake, where there are rafts of birds. We saw, did we see? Uh, I can hear Canada geese. There's always <laughs> geese. Yeah, there we go. There's always some commotion going on with that lot. We saw, I was very pleased to see a grey heron because, again, when I came as a kid, every time we went past the lay, we always saw a grey heron stood usually on one leg. And uh, they're still here, so that's good. Great shoulder minnows. And we saw a great crested grebe. In fact, we saw two great crested grebes. One of which is sitting on a nest, which is a big sort of pile of reeds and weed and sticks and stuff. And her mate was going out and fishing and bringing her fish. Yeah, big fish. Presenting them to her. And he's looking very fine. He's still got his breeding plumage on. It's kind of like when I bring you breakfast in bed, isn't it? It's a cup of tea in bed and a ginger biscuit. Yeah. Next time I'll bring you a fish. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'll do. <laughs> it might not be quite so welcome. <laughs> no. It's certainly. I can hear multiple reed warblers. A lot of reed warbling going on in these reed beds. It's clearly very good habitat for them. I mean, I can hear some agricultural machinery in the distance, so we're surrounded by farmland. And of course, that's created a problem in the lay with all the fertiliser runoff. So there's a problem with eutrophication. 
So there's an interesting contrast between the sound of the tractor and this wealth of mostly bird noise, isn't it? You can hear a few insects, a few primates walking around. <laughs> I was going to say, there's <laughs> primates in the forest. And their uh, canid companions. Mm -hmm. But that's just a reflection of the pressure these habitats are under, isn't it? Brilliant, brilliantly encapsulating that. Yeah. Because we've got, I mean, you can see the road over there. It's actually a surprisingly busy road. Mm. The locals call it the Slapton Line. Didn't they? Yeah, that's what the Slapton Line is. It's the road that goes along this really narrow shingle bank that's holding back this fresh water. And it's, it's not very far above the level of the water. No, it isn't. And it's not very far above the level of the sea. And one day the sea's going to come through it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you've got the road and the sea on one side and then you've got this very intensively green agricultural land on the other. So uh, there's noise pollution, there's disturbance, there's going to be runoff of nutrients coming off that lovely green lush farmland yeah, really. into, straight into this fresh water. In fact, you can see as we were walking along there are big slicks of green algae in places, which is a sign that there's too many nutrients in the water. But nonetheless, there are vast numbers of insects. Yeah. So we've been living in this swarm of <laughs> chironomid midges for some days now, and the birds have been having this feeding frenzy. Yes, and there's more of them here, though. Listen. <laughs> so that was a Swan taking off and then sort of crash landing again. <laughs> So now we've arrived on the far side of the lake where we're now sat next to a really extensive reed bed. I can see a beetle. Oh. Big black one. Oh, that's fun. That's a bloody nose beetle. Yes. The sort that if you pick it up, it dribbles red fluid on you as an anti-predator mechanism. 
Let me just put that to the test. No, it's very unpleasant. <laughs> you found an amazing beetle fact yesterday. We were, you were looking at these ants. And you discovered a beetle that attacks the ants. What was that about? Well, they call it the highwayman beetle. And it's more, I think you find it more in sort of woodland habitats with this species of ant. But we saw what we think was a jet ant yesterday, which is a species of black ant. And it's predated by these beetles. But they do, it's not direct predation, the beetles don't eat the ants, but they do the thing that, that's called trophallaxis, where they fool the ants into giving them their food. So the beetles build little hideouts along the roots that the ants use for foraging, and they ambush the ants at night, they come out at night, and they target the fattest ants, the ones that are carrying the most food, and they trick them into regurgitating it. Now, whether this is mechanical signaling or chemical, I don't know, but anyway, they get them to regurgitate the food. And pretty quickly, some of the other ants will catch on and they will attack the beetle. And at that point, it basically just clamps itself to the ground. It's got a special rim, like the rim of a plate, all around its, its wing cases, so that the ants can't flip it over. And uh, it just sits there until they give up and go away. I thought that was the most amazing yeah. story. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? You couldn't make this stuff up. No, and I thought, what a brilliant name for a beetle. Ooh, there is a big Ichneumon wasp flying around this this whole area. We've got benches and a railing oh, all yeah. built out of lovely old wood. And I think that's flying around looking There's for... another one. Yeah, wood-boring beetle grubs. Oh, yeah. And she's got a huge, long ovipositor so she can drill into the wood when she finds something. Oh, no. And oh, yeah. uh, lay an egg in it. Wow, it's a beauty. That's superb. Look at that. Oh, lovely around Listening. So, yeah, just to come back to those high women beetles, I thought that was just the perfect name. <laughs> women it's really extraordinary. Is I know. Highway robbery. It really like... is. We've never, never heard of no, that. No, never heard of that. Well, it's another joy of doing this, going around looking at stuff, trying to identify it, and then once you've identified it or got a name for it, you can access all this other information that you had no idea about. You find yeah. all these amazing stories.
standing at Crow Point, which is just around the corner from Start Point. And we think we've been listening to Swell Buntings, this really rare bird that's very few places you can see it, and this is one of the supposedly best places for it. Until there's a fact about soil bunting. It's nationally threatened, isn't it? It's a threatened species. It is, and it's only on this little strip of the South Devon coast. It only just gets into the UK. Oh, is that right? This is the only area? This is the only part of the UK where you'd have any chance of seeing it at all. And Prowl Point apparently is a real centre of population. It likes the hedgerows. It likes to pick up seeds in the fields. So it's very elusive. It's very elusive. We think we might have seen it, don't we? Well, it looks a bit like a yellow hammer. Which we have definitely seen. And heard. And heard. But it's a beautiful spot, so uh, low tide, the seat's just behind us. I'm looking up at um, a cliff which is covered in sort of scrubby vegetation. And it's, it's full of birds. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of species and quite a few which I don't know what they are. Linnets and chiff-chaffs and goldfinches and greenfinches and blackbirds and did I already say chaffinches as chaffinches? I think you did. And chaffinches. So it's quite a diversity. And we've heard a skylark over here. Oh yeah, there was a skylark, yeah. And these cliffs are interesting, aren't they? Didn't you say they were formed... Um, after the last ice age, is it's that a right? previous interglacial. There's where the swallow is, and martins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a raised beach. So it's a, what was a beach in a previous interglacial. So that's really cool. So that's from when the sea level was higher. Before the last ice age. Before the last ice age. And there's the very eroded remains of what were the sea cliffs behind the beach. What are these red beetles flying all over the place? They're actually brown beetles. They're actually click beetles. Are they? That's cool. They're click beetles flying in search of lady click beetles. <laughs> well, they're hot on the chase. <laughs> a lot they're of them. click beetles. They have a sort of hinge partway along, and if you annoy a click beetle, it'll click the hinge and ping itself into the air. It's a predator avoidance mechanism. And it'll then lie down and play dead. Mm. So it's kind of protecting itself. The possum of the beetle world. Well, I hope that somewhere on this recording I've got a cell venting. You've certainly got loads of other birds. Yeah, it's lovely. Sat right down at sea level now, just a bit further around the coast, and we've been sitting listening to the seals singing. So there's a colony of seals all basking on a set of rocks, and they make this wonderful, it's I suppose a bit like a howling sound, like a dog might make, or a wolf, maybe a bit more tuneful. (laughs) 